Good morning. This is kind of a happy and kind of a sad day for us here at Calvary, as, as far as those of us who are part of, of, of this family. Uh, this is the last day that the Sheddens will be here to worship with us. And we just love you guys so much. And we wish you well. At the end of our worship service today, we just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And we can do that at a distance. So uh, we're just going to ask you to, at that time to, to stand and let us pray for you. Uh, but we are so excited for the adventure that you're living. And we're so grateful that God gave us this time. Uh, I mean, we've shared life for a lot of years with you, but to get to do that in person, that has been so awesome, and we look forward to um, coming to visit you often and staying at your house. So uh, thank you for all that you've done, just for how part of the ministry that you've been. So, uh, Jill Price is a name you may or may not be familiar with. She is known as the lady who never forgets. Now, some of you think you might be married to that person or that person is your mom. That's just a joke. I just wanted to check because more and more masks are coming off, and I have not been able to see anything but your eyes for about a year and a half. And sometimes all I could see was a little red blinking light, and that was you, and I have to remember that that's you. For some of you, that still is you. God bless you, and I give you a greeting in the name of Jesus. But to be able to see so many more smiles as the room slowly fills back up, I tell you what, it's just a blessing to me, and uh, I appreciate that. But um, this lady, along with a few others, there's not very many people, have this rare disorder. It's called uh, hyperthymesia. And what that means, or the way that it plays out, is that (laughs) Jill Price never forgets anything, literally. The way her brain processes information is that she forgets nothing. Every moment, every day of her life is played out with crystal clarity. Now, some of you remember uh, Mary Lou Henner. You remember she was an, an she still is, I guess, an actress and and d- d- different things. But she has this condition, and I watched several interviews on different talk shows, and they would just mention random dates to her, and she would say, "Oh yes, that's the date I remember," and and she would just just say what happened by, in detail on that day. This is incredible. However, the thing about this, uh, this disorder is that it's not just that she can recall I- exactly what she was doing 20 years ago. She feels that as well uh, because there, there's no space. There, there's no chronology to it. It's just like it all just happened and the way that her memory works. Her husband died 10 years ago, but she said it feels like yesterday. So she's had to learn how to process all the pains in life. I mean, just think if every breakup you had been through, every fear, every trauma was just like it just happened. So she had to figure out, how am I going to deal with that? But also, you know, the upside of that, she never forgets anything. You know, all the joys and the happiness. She's never lost her car keys. Um, you know, made straight A's on every test because she just remembers it. I mean, I just, I don't know. This is fascinating to me. Now, we say 
Ah, forgive and forget. And as simple a sentiment as that is, and and I think it's a good principle to live by, if you can. (laughs) But there are some hurts that you have endured. There's some wounds that that you have that are really hard to forget. And like Jill Price, you know, we can play those back, even though some of those happened a long time ago. You remember them crystal clear to the point where sometimes you begin to wonder, am I so hurt that I'm never going to heal? This is always going to be there in my heart, in my life, in my soul. You know, there's a a lot of problems and things that have happened that are difficult to let go of, what we might need to do and what we're going to talk about today, pardon me, is what if we could learn how to use our memory as a way to further His grace, as a way to be on display to the world. This is what grace is and this is what it looks like. Let's read, uh, there's a familiar scripture It's in the book of Ephesians, it's in chapter 4, and it's verse 32. Now, for those of you who are not a regular attender here at Calvary, or maybe you're just joining us online, uh, we typically do series, and those can last anywhere from two weeks uh, to eight or ten weeks, you know, just depending on the subject or the text that we're looking at. And in between those series, this year, I'm doing these standalone messages And we pull them all together, and we call it Faith Foundations. And what we're doing is we're looking at traditional beliefs or attributes of Christianity, of what it means to be in Christ. So each one of these stand alone, but they're connected because we hope at the end of the year you'll think, wow, have a little better grasp of what it is um, that we believe, you know, the truths that we embrace and that make us uh, distinctive. This is one of those. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. <clears throat> now, for that little phrase, <clears throat> pardon me, um, for God in Christ has forgiven you. Oh, this is interesting. He's, he's walking off the... I just like to do something. I can see your faces. Um, We can... Excuse me. We can share out of what we already have. You see, it's not that God says, now that you're a Christian, you need to get your act together. You need to pull yourself together. You need to forgive. You need to reach down inside and try harder. No, the concept of this, he says, you know, as God in Christ has forgiven you, what that means is in the same way as. Out of that comes this. We had something really cool to happen this week. I got to tell you about it, okay? Friday, uh, the staff played golf in a charity tournament um, together just just not very far from here, and uh, on the second night, uh, Joe Drummer, yes, Joe Drummer 
hit, for the first time ever, a hole-in-one. He really did. I'm always suspicious when a pastor is good at golf. Uh, but he hit a hole in one, and it was just so cool. We couldn't believe it. We, from where we were back on T-Box, we saw the ball. We saw it land. We saw it kind of, and then it disappeared. And we thought it either had to roll off into the grass where we couldn't see it, and we thought, and I, or it went in the hole. And that, we were just trying to process that thought, and we, we get up to it, and, and Kevin jumped out. He had his phone, so we wanted to document this. You know, and he goes, and, and, and there it is. It's in the hole. It was so cool. Now, there were two hole-in-one, you know, uh, kind of you know, competitions d- during that. The next one, if you hit it, you won a car. <laughs> oh, Joe. Oh, that's so great. Congratulations. If you'd have held back and won the next one, you'd have gotten a new car. But what he did get on that hole was... A, a year's supply of golf balls, which is really cool because the way we were playing, we were going through a lot of golf balls, okay? So we, he would have he done well that day. But as often as I play, man, it probably wouldn't have been that great, <laughs> great a prize for me. But Joe was saying, we got, he said, I don't know how they're going to, how did they give me that? You know, do I have to go every month and say, I use this many? Or you know, how does that work? He said, I hope they just give me a box of balls. You know, just give me a case of golf balls that I can walk out with. And then he said this, and I liked, the, I liked this that Joe said. He said, so that I could have all these. He said, I would never play that many. I, I could share them with my friends. I could give out of it. You see, if, I don't know, how many, how many golf balls would be in a box of golf balls? Let's say it's, what's a good number for you? 50, let's say there's 50 golf balls. So he could say, you know what, I've got 50 golf balls. I'm never going to use all that. I'm going to use maybe 20 of these or, you know, 15. So you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give these. I'm going to share these with my friends. You know, if you gave me a basket of apples, you gave me a dozen apples. And I said, wow, wow, thank you. I'm going to give one of these apples away. You see, what I'm doing is I'm giving something to you out of what I already have because I have a surplus I have a supply, I have plenty, I have enough, so I can give out of that. I'm not having to go somewhere else and find it. I'm giving you something I have. This says, as God in Christ, you already have his grace. You already have this ability to forgive in you. And so we give out of who we are in Jesus. Now, when we read this text, we're stepping into this completed action. And you need to go back and just read the whole chapter, and maybe you'll get it a little better. But what's happened here is that a change has already taken place. We've already been forgiven. I remember when I first began to walk with Christ, this was one of those things that was really hard for me to wrap my mind around. I said, you mean, I said, you know, I remember telling my friend, who was kind of mentoring me, and I said, so what you're saying is everything I've done up until now is crossed out. He said, that's what I'm telling you, and I'm telling you the sins you'll commit today are already crossed out, and the sins you'll commit for the rest of your life. I said, wait a minute. Now, there you go. I said, that part, that part I'm having to show. He says, well, did, did you not think that he looked ahead and saw all of those sins? You're forgiven. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that just a big idea? We've already been forgiven. 
So out of that forgiveness that I experience, I can forgive you. What caused this change? Let's go back a little deeper into this chapter in Ephesians 4, verse 20. It says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, we're renewed in our spirits. We've put off the old person. You know, there is a terrible teaching that grew up in the 1950s and 60s and 70s that kind of took root in, in evangelical Christianity. And the idea was, well, you've got two selves. Now that you've become a Christian, you've been born again, oh, you've got a new self. Now you've still got the old self. And so they're going to be constantly battling your whole life. You've probably heard that. Maybe you've taught that or thought that. But what Paul says, what Scripture says, what Jesus says is, no, that was crucified. That old self was crucified. And now you are a new person. You're a new man. You're a new woman. And it's out of that life that you're able to forgive now. You see that things that happened in the old life are not really relevant to you so much anymore. Now, if I got a call uh, this morning and somebody said, oh, Dan, oh, Dan, we, we've got to tell you that the house at 2040 Bishop's Bridge is, is on fire. In fact, it's burnt to the ground. You know, I could go, oh, no. Oh, no, that's my house. <laughs> that's my house. But then I could think, oh, wait, no, 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 no. That's the house where I used to live. I'm sorry for the folks who live there now, but you know what? As far as I'm concerned, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. That's not my house anymore. I don't live there. Now, if I got a call and said, now at 912 Hickory Grove Court, the house is on fire. Now I'm concerned because that is where I live. Do you get it? Some of you are still trying to live in your old house. And you're holding on to bitterness and wounds and hurts and pains. And and it's hard for you to extend because you think you've got two residents. You don't have to care about that one anymore. Because you've got a new place. So the call is to put off the old self. The self that not only sins, but it holds on to hurts. So you've got to put that off. And instead... Put on Christ. So, what is that going to look like? Here's what I don't want to do today. I don't want to minimize your hurts. I don't want to tell you, uh, your hurts aren't that bad. You're part of the human race. Get over it. Suck it up. Come on. Grow up. Let it go. Just let it go. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Because it isn't that our go-to position. 
I, I don't want to do that. I'm absolutely sure that some of your hurts are that bad and that they're valid and that they're real. I'm sure that they are. So I'm not here to tell you, just get over it. What I am here to tell you is verse 32. To be tender-hearted and forgiving. What happened was real, but your forgiveness is just as real and even more powerful. Because Christ forgave you. He forgave you. So and this would not be in the Bible if it weren't possible for you to do. You know, sometimes you read verses like this and you think, whoa, I can't do that. Yeah, now you can't. He would not have asked you if you couldn't do it. Tim Keller said this. He said, forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. It's voluntary. When someone seriously wrongs you, they deeply offend you, you there's a perpetrator, and and there's this, this unavoidable sense that that person owes you. You know how that just immediately comes into your feelings. A wrong has occurred, and so now there's this obligation, a liability, a debt. And anybody who's ever been wronged feels that compulsion that I want that person to have to pay. I don't want them to get away with it. And we do that so we, we try to hurt them. We yell at them. We make them feel bad in some way. Or we just wait and watch and hope that something really awful happens to them. Because we'll feel some sort of fleshly satisfaction about that. We had a guy traveling through Knoxville once on his way to West Tennessee, uh, to, to Jackson, Tennessee. And he stopped off. He got a hotel room close by. And for whatever reason, he decided to come to Calvary that morning. And that day, we were talking about revenge. He could not believe it. He asked for an appointment that afternoon. It was an evening we were going to do an outdoor worship service uh, on the campus at the university. And I said, could you come to that, to that service tonight? He said, yes, I was going to be traveling, but I'm going to stay long enough and do that. He said, I've got a story. I wanted to tell you something. So he, he came, and we sat down on, on one of the benches over there. And he said, I want you to know why I was in Knoxville. I was on my way to West Tennessee. He said, to kill my father. I said, what? He said, I wanted to get revenge. He said, as incredible as this may sound to you, he said, I know this is going to sound kind of crazy. Um, he said, but my father and my wife started developing a relationship. He said, my wife left me to marry my father. My father took my wife from me, and they live on a farm there. He said, every morning I know he gets up, and he comes out into this certain part of the field out behind the barn. He said, I could hide back there, and I can, I can kill him. And that was my plan. I'm going to get my revenge because I'm never going to be happy again. He said, I cannot believe. He said, I've never heard a message on that. He said, I came to your church this morning and y'all were speaking. He said, I'm a Christian. He said, I know that's hard to believe too. He said, but I am. 
And he said, and as I listened to that, God just began to convict me. You can't go kill your daddy. And he said, and I repent of that. He said, I'm not going. I'm going back home. I'm going back home, and I'm going to ask God to start healing my heart. We were just, we were amazed at what God had done in his, his life that morning. But there's that feeling that we all experience, maybe not to that degree. It's only after we see somebody suffer in some proportionate ways to the way we've suffered that we sense, okay, the debt's been paid, it's balanced back out now, and that sense of obligation is gone, and we can kind of let it go. That sense of debt or, or liability and obligation is it's just impossible to escape. Have you noticed how many movies are built on this? You know, the hero expresses great loss, you know. And, you know the bad guys have, have killed someone he loves or done something, and now he's going to get revenge. And we start pulling for that character, and it leads up to that climactic scene at the end of the movie. And we think, yeah, this bad guy that we just love to hate, you know, the movie just makes us, oh, just really. And then they get it. And there's this feeling. And God says, that's not, that's not you anymore. And anyone in this room, anyone watching online who has ever been wronged or sinned in a serious way, you know this. You know that feeling. Let's say that my, my friend has a valuable antique clock, and it's worth $1,000. And I say, I go over, and I start kind of messing with it. I go, man, I've got an old clock, and I'd, I'd love to fix mine up. Do you mind if I just kind of play? He says, no, it's really old. It's really antique, and I, I wish you wouldn't mess with it. I wish you wouldn't touch it. Well, let me just, let me see how this pendulum works. Well, what are these things? You know, and say, I just accidentally, say, I just knock it over. And, so I, and, and, I, and, I, and I say, I break it. I destroy it. It's a hundred-year-old clock. It's worth a thousand dollars. He says, "What have you done?" I go, "No, no, no, no. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But you know what? I'm going to pay you. It's worth a thousand dollars. Here, here. I'm going to give you a thousand dollars. You see, I can, I can pay him back, but his clock is still broken. It's still ruined. That debt is still there because I can't pay for. I can't bring the clock back." All I can do is what I can do and try to pay for the, you know, the monetary value of it. But he will sigh and think, well, I'll never have that clock. The debt exists, but if they choose to forgive me, then they cancel the debt and they absorb it themselves. Do you see? That's what... God has done. And that's what we do. Because forgiveness is a choice. Whether it's you and me forgiving each other or if it's us receiving forgiveness from God. And I think this is where we get a little confused about the whole, ah, just, you know, forgive it, forget it stuff. In Jeremiah 31, 34 God says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's a choice that he makes. And the truth about this is that word is a legal word. It was used in a courtroom. And what it, what it literally means is that God now considers your sin as inadmissible evidence in court. He will never hold it 
against you ever. In fact, he says so, because I know that's hard for you to, to really accept that. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He doesn't count trespasses against you. Someone has stepped in that place and has paid that debt. That was God's choice. And forgiveness is our choice. I totally get that it's not automatic. It's not like pushing a button or flipping a switch. But since we've decided to put on a new self in the likeness of God, we can now choose everything that that new self has the capability to do, and that means we can choose to forgive. One thing I want to emphasize is that forgiveness is something that you do as much for yourself as you do for anyone else. You don't forgive because another person deserves it. I'm willing to bet they don't. Some of you have been hurt and you think, they really don't deserve forgiveness. Some of you are holding on to hurts and that the person you're not forgiving maybe has even been dead for a long time, for years. I had a good friend and we were hiking in the Smokies once and he was so upset about his relationship with his father. And I said, your father? And he goes, yes, and he's been dead now, you know, for 10 years And he said, I can't have, I said, you can have that, you can process that. You can still forgive him. Some of you are holding on to, to that. Listen, you're not doing it for them. It's it's not even about them anyway. It's about you. It's about your heart. What's best for you, which is not holding on to it. We also have to remember that just the act of forgiveness, the process of forgiveness, that's not the end game. That's not our goal. Is to get, have you ever worked through that and finally got to the place where you could say and feel, I forgive you? <sighs> you think, there, that's it. That's the last step. But the goal is restoration. The goal is wholeness and, and healing. That's our objective. You realize there is no guarantee that the person I'm going to ask you to forgive today is ever going to change. Let that sink in. They may never change. Grace and forgiveness, while free to the recipient... It's often costly for the giver. From the earliest parts of the Bible, it was understood that God could not forgive without sacrifice. Forgiveness is not a sentimental action. It's not because, well, God is love and he can't help himself but to forgive. I understand that and I think we live in this romantic period in history and we we lean into that. No, God is justice too, and that had to be satisfied. No, God didn't forgive you because God is love. 
Grace and forgiveness happen in a different way. No one who's seriously wrong can just forgive the offender. But when you forgive, that means you absorb that loss and you absorb that debt. You bear it yourself. So all forgiveness is costly, no matter how small or how large. And one of the things that it's going to cost you is you, is yourself. Your own desire for revenge or for justice. It will cost you your own heart. However, it will give you the heart of God. To not forgive is to cut yourself off from the work that God is doing in you. It denies his ability to redeem your hurts, to change the story of your pain. I heard about a guy who was dying and, and he was scared about what was going to happen to him. And oh, he thought about it and he had had this long running feud with his neighbor Bill. And he said, I, I can't go into eternity like this. And so he called for Bill and Bill came over and he said, yeah, what? Well, he says, listen, I'm dying and, and I just want you to know that I, I can't face the Lord with this, the way our relationship is. I want you to know that I forgive you, Bill for everything you've ever done and said about me. And I ask that you forgive me as well. Bill teared up and he said, I, I, I forgive you and I received that. Thank you for inviting me over to tell me this. And he turned and began to walk out and he got to the door and the fellow said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, now if I make it, then all that's canceled. Just forget that. <laughs> I think we forgive like that sometimes. You want to change your story? When we forgive, we tell the story of grace. We act it out in real time, in real life. Our unforgiveness grieves God. He wants your heart so much that he willingly set aside every sin that you have ever committed or ever will. He did the work, the hard work of voluntary suffering, paying your debt off by sending his own son to the cross. The only ground on which God can forgive me is through the cross of Christ. Forgiveness means that I am forgiven into a recreated relationship, into identification with God in Jesus that's deeper and stronger and bigger than just saying, well, God is love. When we determine... Our heart's just too raw. It's just too, too tender. It's too big for us to let go of. Then we've decided that our heart is more important than God's grace. His grace in our lives and His grace in the life of the person who hurt you. See, I'm never going to release them. And I know this goes against everything that my flesh wants. 
but we owe it to those who have wronged us to be the greatest display of grace in their lives. If I can't turn my pain into his grace, then I have wasted my pain. Don't forget that. I want you to consider this too. I believe forgiveness may be the purest form of worship that we have, that we ever experience. And forgiveness is actually required for those who have been forgiven. We approach it as if it were an option. Yeah, I don't, you know. Listen to this. Matthew 6, 14. For if I forgive, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Listen to verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In the Greek, it means exactly the same thing as it means in the English. There are no loopholes. We do not have the luxury of holding on to our bitterness towards other people. One other thing. What, what about the, if the one you can't forgive and you won't forget it, is you. I've I've been there. Have you? I just can't forgive myself. I just won't ever forgive myself. What about those of you who have decided you just cannot forgive yourself? I want you to consider this. Whose approval and opinion are you more concerned about? God's opinion of you or your own? Which is more true? Which is more important? Which is a priority to you? If you're more concerned about your own opinion, well, I know God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Did you just, Jesus, do God? You say, I know God's righteous, and I appreciate that, but I'm even more righteous. What? If you're more concerned about your own opinion, then that is an idol. That's an idol. God has already said that evidence is inadmissible. I'm never counting that against you. I forgive you. So why would you drag that back into court over and over again. Many years ago, I got a speeding ticket, and I was so self-righteous about it. Was I speeding? Yes. Did I have a lot of reasons why I was speeding? (laughs) Yes. And so I showed up, and I gave my reasons and all of this, and and the judge decided, okay, you know what? He kind of chuckled, and he said, We're just going to throw this out. 
I'm not going to charge you anything. We're going to dismiss this. It's, it's just done. What if I left? You know, and you know, this has probably never happened to you, righteous people. But, you know, when you, when you something like that's happened and you think, oh, my goodness. Maybe you get called to the principal's office or your dad says, get in here. And then nothing happens. And you sort of get, and you, and you walk out going, I'm just going to put distance between myself and that moment and that place. I remember walking out of that courtroom. I'm through the doors. They're not calling me back. I'm in the parking lot. I'm in my car. I'm getting, I'm going to speed all the way home. I don't, I don't. I just got away. I just got free. What in, what in my, this happened in Blount County. Why in the world would I get up the next day, get ready, and drive back over to the courthouse you know, in Blount and say, you know what, I'd like to redo that. I, I want to reconsider that. Why would you do that? Stop doing that. You're free. You're forgiven. It'll never be used against you. Receive that. Receive that from Jesus. And now, give that. Out of your abundance, give that back. Never forget the choice God made for you to pay your debt. His own son. Never forget the change he's bringing into your life through forgiveness. He is shaping you into his image. And never forget that the story of his grace isn't finished yet. It's not finished for you and it's not finished for the one that hurt you. Forgiveness isn't agreeing with someone. It isn't saying, well, it doesn't bother anymore. It it doesn't hurt. It didn't happen. It's saying, it happened, but I release you from any debt you owe me. And I'll never bring it back up. Do you have someone that you need to release When you set them free, it's going to set you free. Would you stand? We're going to, before we pray for the Sheddons, and just give them a blessing before they go, we're we're just going to release people. We're just going to forgive folks. So during this song, you just... You maybe need to say, Lord, here's here's this individual. They may not even be alive anymore. You may be disconnected. It could be somebody you used to know. And I'll let you and the Lord work out how hard you need to work at finding them and verbalizing all of that. Sometimes I think it's helpful and healthy. Sometimes I think, no, just leave that part of it. (laughs) Leave that with the Lord. But just... Just get it settled today. Know it in your heart. Forgive. Forgive. Be forgiven. And out of that, forgive. Forgive.